Welcome to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics, where the conversation always gives you a foundation that is built on biblical principles, so you can intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, and the reality we live in, and history. Host Joe Gaona covers topics like apologetics, worldviews, contemporary culture, and the Word of God to help you articulate a defense for how you live your Christian life. See how you can get involved in support Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com Joe, where is that magnifying glass? How you doing today? This is Joe Guiana with 1530 Apologetics throughout all ages, and we're here to look at world views and to test them, to weigh them out, and see if your worldview or my worldview makes sense as we lay it on a scale. We want to look at history, theology, science, and philosophy, and ultimately, we want to look at the reality around us, and does it make sense? Does your worldview make sense in how you live move, and have your being in your worldview. Now, the last few weeks, we have been talking about contradictions. The critic says there are contradictions in the Bible. So for the last three weeks, we have been looking at them. And today we will do part four on answering the contradictions. The first one I want to start with is Mary who clinged on to Jesus after he came out of the tomb. Now the critic would say that he told Mary, hey, don't touch me because I haven't went to the Father yet. I haven't ascended to heaven. I haven't got my glorified body. But we're going to see that's just misleading in their part. If we look at Matthew 28, 9. It says this, And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hell, and they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. So they were holding him by the feet and they were worshipping him. That's all we're told in Matthew. In Luke, it says, Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, handle me and see, for a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. This is a hint that he already has his glorified body. But we want to get to John 20. This is the crux of it all here. The critic would say here in John twenty seventeen that Jesus said unto Mary, said unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father, and to your Father, and to my God, and your God. And so, I can understand this. Even me, as a young Christian, I remember I was reading Mary clinged on to Jesus, and Jesus said, Don't touch me, Mary, because I haven't ascended to the Father. But it just goes to show that sometimes we could overread 
what the scriptures are actually saying. I think it's very direct to the critic what it's saying. Let's read this again. It says, And Jesus said to her, Touch me not. That word, touch me not, would be the word, uh, don't cling onto me. But if we just look up the word cling in, in the Bible, what the word cling means, it means don't fasten oneself, don't un- adhere to me, do not cling to me. And what Jesus is telling Mary, Mary, I haven't even ascended to the Father. I'm not gone, I'm still here. And I need you to go tell the disciples that I'm alive and well and I'm resurrected and that I am going to ascend to the Father. So I need you to go and not cling on to me. And Mary understood that and she took off. So it's very easy to read there. It says, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. No, he's, he's there on earth talking to Mary. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend unto my Father. I am going to leave. And when I leave, I'm going to be up in my throne. And so right now you need to get up and go tell the disciples. Very easy on the, on the critic who thinks that this is a contradiction. Now we want to look at another contradiction. When did uh, the devil, when did Satan enter Judas Iscariot? Was it before Passover when they're eating the bread and the wine? Or was it at Passover? Because we have Luke 22 telling us something. And then we have John 13, 27 telling us something. So let's read this again. So Luke 22 Verses 1, 3, and 4, and 6. It says this, Now the feast of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. So we know it's approaching. And Satan entered Judas, the one called Iscariot, who belonged to the number of the twelve. And he left and discussed with the chief priest. So Judas takes off after Satan enters him. He takes off to the chief priests and officers how he was to portray Jesus to them. And so he consented. And so now Judas Iscariot, with the devil inside him, he's consenting. And he began looking for a good opportunity to betray him. Now remember, this was before the Passover. But then we read in John thirteen eighteen and 21 and verses 26 and verses 27. It says, when Jesus had said these things, so now he's at the Passover, he's actually eating. And when Jesus had said these things, he became troubled in his spirit and testified and said, truly, truly, I say unto you that one of you will betray me. Jesus then answered, because they asked him, who is this? And he says, the man is the one whom I shall dip the piece of bread and give it to him. And so when he had dipped the piece of bread, he took it and gave it to Judas. After this, it says, Satan then entered him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what are you doing? Do it quickly. So when it comes to principalities and powers, You must understand that when uh, the principalities, when demonic warfare happens to a person, um, that that demonic warfare can come inside, 
can leave when it wants to, can come inside again, can stay there and just not do nothing. And it seems like it's not even there. And then all of a sudden it just sparks up and all this power comes and Satan begins to release himself, uh, even with his demonic angels or, or demons. And so there is no contradiction if you even begin to read a little bit about the Bible to know how it's constructed. Even a man of God, when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. It doesn't mean that we have Jesus's power all day and all night. And it's just sitting there ready to be bestowed on someone. No, it's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you then he gives you this dunamis power to do these great things for God. And so we see that with principalities when the Satan entered the second time in the Judas to every time he was going to make a huge decision and it was going to harden his heart even more. It's here that he lets Satan introduce himself to him and come inside of him. He actually had to let him come inside of him. And so we see there's no contradiction on that as far as Satan did enter twice into Judas Iscariot. Each time was a powerful hit. And the residing of principalities could have been in Judas for all we know. But we don't have enough information. And so now we get to another one. How old was Ishmael? So we know when he was abandoned by Abraham. So we're looking at this because we know that uh, Sarah had her maidservant, um, Hagar, have a baby boy. And he was called Ishmael. Well, the critic would say there's two verses. And one says he's a he was a baby when he was left alone in the desert to die. And the critic would say that on another verse, it says he was a boy. So which is it? And I think if we just read it in context, we can see what it is saying. So let's first read Genesis 21, 14, 15, and 18. It says this, Genesis 21, 14. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, that's the word right there, and the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child, there's the word, under one of the shrubs. And God heard, now that was verse 15, and all of a sudden it says in verse 17, and God heard the voice of the lad. So verse 14 and 15 says a child. And then verse 17, all of a sudden it says, and God heard the voice of the lad. Well, what changed? Well, nothing changed. It actually gave us more information. If the critic would have just took that verse and read it down further, it says, and God heard the voice of the lad. Well, how old can a lad be? Well, a lad can be anywhere from three years old to 20 to 30 years old. And also a child, a child is a, it can be from a baby to a young man. So there is no contradiction when we just look at Genesis 21 by itself. But let's go to Genesis 17, 25, and let's read that. That Ishmael, his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh. We know that Abraham's son, Isaac, was weaned when 
Ishmael was still living with Abraham, with Hagar. And so a weaned baby is usually two to three years old. It was after that that he was taken to the desert with Hagar. So Ishmael had to be at least uh, 15, 16 years old because he was 13 years old when he got circumcised. So we can count two or three years from there and know he was at least 15, 16 years old when he went out to the desert. There doesn't seem to be any contradiction there. As a matter of fact, when you look at the word child in the Bible, the word child is all over the Bible. It can mean boy, child, fruit, son, young man. So the fruit of their loins, right? The seed. You had to just look at it. But even just having the word lad there, where you would know that Ishmael was not a baby. It's easy to assume that by the wording. It sounds like she just tossed the baby up there in the corner. That's not what it means when it says, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. Anyways, I think the critic just takes these things a little too far. So stay with us as we come to the second part. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics. Don't go away because there is much more to come with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise. Throughout All Ages Ministry 1530 Apologetics goes into the public high school to build up the student's character to intellectually think about their worldview and weigh it with truth. Studies show 75 to 85% of all college students who grew up in a Christian home are walking away from their faith. For more information about 1530 Apologetics, go to throughoutallages.com. Welcome back to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And now, here's your host, Joe Gaona, on K-Praise. And here we are on the second part of Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics, talking about contradictions. This is part four, and we're going to continue talking about it. This would be the last one. So we have part one, part two, part three, and part four. So let's continue talking here. So the next contradiction we want to get to is where did Moses uh, get the water from the rock? Which I think is a silly question. But the other part of the question is, did this happen at Rephidim or did this happen at Kadesh? Um, why does one say the wilderness of sin, S-I-N, and why does the other one say the wilderness of Zin, Z-I-N? As we look through the Old Testament, there are two times when Moses actually uh, gets water from the rock. The first one, he hits it. The second one, he was supposed to speak to it. He ends up hitting it because he was uptight with them. And for that, Moses could not go to the promised land. But I think the verses actually just say what it means. And if they would just read it, I don't know why they're not reading the critic, the skeptic. Here we are in Exodus 17. This is the first time. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, S-I-N, according to the commandment of the Lord. And they camped in Rephidim. 
but there was no water for the people to drink. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and ye shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it. Then the people made drink, and Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So here we have the wilderness of Sin, S-I-N. They camped at Rephidim, and the rock came out of the water came out of the rock. Now, if we read the second time it happened, it happens in Numbers 20, 1 through 8 and 11. And this is what it says. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin, Z-I-N, in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh, so not Rephidim, but Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. And now as they begin to ask for water, it says in verse 8 in Numbers 20 that God told Moses to take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and the animals. And in verse 11 it says that Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod and water came out of it abundantly and the congregation and their animals drained. So in verse 7 we have the wilderness of, of sin, S-I-N. But then that is in Exodus 17, 1. But in Numbers 20 we have the wilderness of Zin, Z-I-N. Now when we look at it, two different rocks, two different places, Two different names and two different waters coming from God. So I think what the critic thinks is because it says wilderness of sin. And then they gave it a name. And it says that right here of Exodus. So he called the name of the place Masa and Meribah, which means tempted and contention. Masa and Meribah. When he went to the wilderness of Zin, they just called it Meribah, which means contention or quarrel, right? It's almost, it's, it is the same word, Meribah. The other one, though, they called it Massa and Meribah. Both places were rocks. Both places happened two different ways. And the water came from two different places. And one had two names to it. And one had one name, but all the names meant something to do with tempted or contention or quarrelsome. And so there is no contradiction if the critic were to look at that. I want to go on to the next one here. Did Jesus, Mary, and Joseph go to Egypt or to Nazareth? I mean, where did they go? Uh, it's kind of confusing, the critic would say. So we need to look at Matthew 2.14 and Luke 2.39. Matthew 2.13 and 14. Again, if they were to just read it in context and not trying to find uh, contradictions in every little word, the context is there for them to see. In Matthew 2.13 it says, Now when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take your young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. So we know they go to Egypt. 
and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek your child to destroy him. When he rose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. It says in verse 19, Now when Herod was dead, now he's dead, there in Egypt, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. So he rose, took the young child and his mother, and came to the land of Israel. And now they're going to define it in verse 23. And he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. But we also see in Luke 2.39, So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And so what we get from this is that Luke doesn't give us the whole thing. Luke tells us that he goes on, dedicates himself, goes get circumcised at the temple. But then Matthew tells us he takes off to Egypt. Luke says nothing about Egypt. But then all of a sudden, Luke is telling us that he went to Nazareth and there he stayed. Mentioned nothing about Herod dying and them going to Egypt. But Matthew gives us that extra information. To have extra information is not to say there's a contradiction to the word of God. And so we see again that the critic is wrong in his evaluation. He's, he's implementing things that aren't there. The next question, the next contradiction that comes up. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, was Jesus asking God, hey, I don't want to do this. I don't want it to happen. Uh, can you just stop it? Can you just stop it? Was that what Jesus was really saying? Now, I think it's a, a little uh, childish that the critic would put this up. But as a Christian, we need to answer these questions because there are those young Christians who will get caught up in these, you know, 100 contradictions, 1,400 contradictions, 400 contradictions. And so we need to answer this for the critic. But I think sometimes, as you can see on this fourth part, some of these are getting a little silly, what they're asking for. So did Jesus ask God to not have the crucifixion? Well, we can look at this in Matthew twenty-six thirty-nine. It says this, He went a little farther and fell on his face, that is Jesus, and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. I think that's the closest that he gets to saying, I don't want to do it. He's saying, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will, right? So he's saying, nevertheless, that might, might be what I want to be able to do it a different way. But nevertheless, let's do your will. And in Mark fourteen thirty-five, it says, and he went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. If you stop there, the critic would be correct. Take it away from me. But he says, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but your will. 
And that was, we read Matthew, and that was Mark. And now let's read John. In verse 42, it's saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your wills be done. Nope, it's not there. So let's look at John 12, 27. This is the last possible place that you could find Jesus saying, no, I don't want to do it. So it says in verse 27 here on John 12, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So the critic actually takes this verse as the given proof that he says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. But nevertheless, Jesus says, not my will, right? Nevertheless, but for this purpose, I came for this hour. So again, we see that there is no contradiction. And uh, I have to wonder what the critic is thinking about when we're talking about these things. Again, it was nice talking to you. It was a privilege bringing out these four parts of contradictions to you. Please go back and look at them. And join us next week as we talk about worldviews and why worldviews matter. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics. And we'll see you next week. That's a take, and this has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. You can learn more about your host, Joe Gaona, how to support and get involved with 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. 1530 Apologetics is vigorously setting the pace to give easy answers to hard questions in the culture we live in. So be sure to join Joe at this same time next week for more biblical principles to help you intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, the reality we live in, and history. This has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise.